does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right and they're a little too far away and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 112 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Brandon Yeagley from Crowbot, I want to remind you that this is your last week to celebrate Christmas in July in the online store at mistresscarrie.com. You can get 10% off of everything. Just use the coupon code JULY2022. You can check out the brand new Mistress Carrie tank tops in men's and women's, plus t-shirts, hoodies, beanies, koozies for your cold beers this summer, pint glasses, coffee mugs, stickers, and even my own Mistress Carrie Christmas ornaments. Log on to MistressCarrie.com, click shop, and make sure you use the code JULY2022 at checkout. If you're a lover of old school, true rock and roll, then the band Crowbot is a band you gotta check out. I had a chance recently to sit down with Brandon Yeagley from Crowbot, and we talked about a lot of everything. We talked about the history of rock and roll and why it's definitely not dead. The band's been out on tour in support of their latest album, Feel This, and Brandon had a day off at home in rural Pennsylvania, and we talked about growing up in the sticks, the inspiration of a lot of the other successful bands from Pennsylvania, protecting his singing voice, the band's inspiration, what an unbelievable decade of music the 90s were, and so much more. The corresponding playlist for this week's episode is fantastic, and you'll find it linked in the show notes of this episode. So allow me to introduce you to Brandon Yeagley from Crowbot. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Brandon. Hey. How are you? 
Oh, I'm doing great. The sun is shining here in central Pennsylvania. Yeah, I um, I was excited. I have a lot of conversations on the show about the difference between being kind of an East Coast person and West Coast or Northeast person and West Coast. Sometimes people like us don't really understand the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. What do you mean the football game starts at 10 o'clock in the morning? What do you mean being 10 minutes late for everything is okay? What do you mean yeah, let's right? just relax and go surfing? I don't get it. So are you guys... Yeah, it'll happen when it happens, yeah, right? Man, it's okay. So are you guys off the road right now? Are you home? Yeah, I'm at home currently uh, for the next uh, probably like six-ish weeks. And then uh, we'll be heading back out for what? We're not too sure. Um, so, but, but the rest of the year looks pretty, pretty busy for us. So I'm enjoying my time home while I got it. Everybody's scrambling right now, like trying to book shows, trying to get gigs, trying to find a venue that's not booked up seven days a week. It's like we went from nothing to everything. It's a potato sack race out there. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, so do you still live where you grow, grew up? Yeah. How yeah, well, I'm weird. pretty close, pretty close. So where exactly did you grow up as a kid? So I grew up in a little, little, little village of Good Spring, Pennsylvania. There were 12 houses, around 12 houses uh, in, in, the, in the village I grew up in. Um, you know, there were like, at this the school I attended, there were like 86 people in my graduating class. So I come from a very small town, very small uh area i'm i'm a little closer to the city if you will <laughs> right now uh, I, I live uh, around pottsville uh pennsylvania which is probably 15 miles from where i grew up so growing up in a little village like that the idea of being in a rock band and like traveling the world that's not something that would be a normal aspiration the way that it would be for someone that say grew up in in la yeah yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like I grew up watching bands like uh, like Fuel, like Live, like Breaking Benjamin, like Hailstorm. I mean, all these bands came from kind of similar upbringings. And I think that was kind of, uh, you know, the hero's tales kind of laid before me as not an impossible feat. So I think that that really uh, lent some uh, confidence in pursuing this, this venture for sure. I didn't have a prayer, I don't think, about growing up and not being involved in the music business because my mom, and my dad too, but specifically my mom was such a hugely passionate music lover. Not a musical family, but a family that just absolutely loved and appreciated music. So growing up, was music in the family meaning ability or was it just in the family meaning it was just everywhere all the time? Both. Both. Um, but but ironically, music being in the family isn't what led me there. And I, I you know, found a different road and, and, and traveled my own way. Um, my uncles played guitar and, you know, through my whole life, my, my uncle still owns a music shop where he gives guitar lessons. Um, but but ironically, I didn't start, you know, taking lessons from him. I kind of just, you know, picked it up on my own. And I think uh you know, that's that's sort of the reason why I held on to it, because, um, you know, I've always been the type of person that if something's forced on me, I'm probably not going to have as much. That seems in to it. be a common theme in, the, in, in people in this line of work, too, is that we don't really like being told what the fuck to do. 
Yeah, and don't tell us no because then that's you're you're just you're you're in for a spiteful venture, and can the, I the same could you, be said about me. <laughs> can I ask you why it is? Just as a side note, because this is how I am. Why is the word no so motivating to people like us? Why? Um, I think it's because we we look for the impossible feats. You know, I think you know. I mean, just as a generality here, and I was speaking in general terms, but I think especially people who uh, who search out music that, you know, like the, the frontiers of music that people, you know, you want to turn people on to new bands, the things that they haven't heard before. That's always been a, a thing that I have always enjoyed. So I think it's like, you know, the next challenge, I look, I look to the next challenge as a, uh, uh, you know, something to look forward to. And I think of the, the next unknown band is to turn people on to the, the next unwritten song as, you know, it, it's the unknown. I think the music kind of helps us through everything still too. You know, somebody tells, you, no, it, it, there's something about rockers. We're just rebellious in nature. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Rick Nielsen from cheap trick told me when I talked to him about growing up in the family music store, and kind of being exposed to all types of music and being able to put his hands on all the different instruments. And then it really kind of opened up his eyes to the possibility of not just being a rock musician, but just a, a musician. So mm-hmm. having access to the store and the lessons, what started first for you? Um, I would spend the summers at my grandparents' house and uh, my best friend, um, in that area, he started playing guitar and he had an old, uh, Ibanez RG, um, you know, the old starter Ibanez and, and, uh, he was just playing ACDC songs and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, play guitar. You want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. So, you know, he, him playing guitar led me to begging my dad for a guitar. And of course my dad said yes, cause he raised me on Uriah Heap and Dio and, and Rainbow and all that parenting sort of stuff. So he, win that's right that's right so you know um i was i was told yes too so <laughs> i can't say it's all about the nose um do you still have that guitar i do yes, yes i do yep an old squire an old fender squire that came in the same box as the amp did <laughs> what was the first thing that you figured out how to play on it like, what song was it that, that you were like, wait, I think I got it? Smoke on the Water. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke on the Water. And it turns out I was playing it wrong for years. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be like the introduction to guitar playing is that if you can get that. And what's crazy about it, and this comes up on the show all the time, is that the simplicity of it is the brilliance of it. That, yeah. yes, it's that simple riff that everyone knows and every kid learns how to play, but it's still so iconic. Yeah. Yeah. And, that you know, that's that's the sort of things that we've learned throughout the songwriting, for through our songwriting journey. It's all about those. It's all about those moments. It's all about those singable riffs. It's all about those singable melodies. You know, the, the music that we still revert back to is probably the music of, of our teenage years, right? Um, so, you know, that's, that's all the stuff that we, we have learned over the years to incorporate in music because, uh, you know, in, in the beginning of our journey, we were just, you know, unbridled wild horses out there, just writing songs and writing riffs and being bluesy any, any 
chance we get. But you know, it's those. It's there's a reason why "Don't Stop Believing" is. You know, you go into a, a bar, and I don't care what you're feeling. You "Don't Stop Believing" comes on. Everybody's singing the words to it. You're like, I kind of want to be a part of that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. So I have a theory about music that we get exposed to the stuff that the people around us love that gets passed mm. to us. Like in my instance, my mom was all about the Beatles and my dad was really into stuff that had horns, you know, Chicago, Three Dog Night, um, The Association, like stuff like that. But then you wake up one day and you discover a song, a band, an artist, something, and you go, no, 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 that's mine. And it's your first kind of step into discovering who you are as a person, I feel like, because that music kind of defines something about your personality. So if your dad's yeah. got you growing up with Dio and Uriah Heep, what was that line for you? What was that music that you claimed as your own? Um, hmm. I, I think probably, you know, Alter Bridge, Miles Kennedy, um, you know, that I, it was definitely a turning point. In, in my upbringing, I think that, uh, you know, it was a, it was kind of this melting pot of all these things that I loved and enjoyed and especially about singers. And, uh, you know, here's this guy and going back to, to where we started, you know, it, it shows you that some things aren't impossible. You know, when you hear Miles Kennedy sing, you're like, wow, that guy did what? And it's it, suddenly things become a little more, uh, within reach, albeit, you know, those are shoes no one will ever fill, <laughs> but, but it kind of tells you that it's, uh, it's humanly possible to, to, uh, obtain certain feats. And that was, that was me. When I heard Miles Kennedy sing, I was like, I ain't never hear, heard anybody sing like this kid. And you know, <laughs> I'm going to take this and try to learn as much as I can out of, out of this guy. He's been on the show a couple times and when he's ever on the road, he's really hard to interview. And so I always was just like, you know, why doesn't this guy want to do any interviews or whatever? But then during COVID, when he wasn't on the road, I got him on the show and I asked him that. And he talked about this, this regiment of taking care of his voice and how bad mm -hmm. talking is, especially on show days for a singer. And it really opened my eyes because my voice doesn't do what his does. Like this voice ain't singing nothing. <laughs> it sounds like I've been gargling shards of glass since puberty. This is all it does. Oh, and it that's what I sounded like too when I started. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it really opened my eyes to the challenges of singers needing to go out and promote their bands, needing to do all of those things, wanting to meet the fans, wanting to do all of that stuff. But at the same time, having this pressure to be able to deliver. Because if you go to see Alter Bridge and Miles is off his game that night, it, it changes everything. Yeah. So yeah. How, how do you process that for yourself? Well, and I, I try to turn the table a bit. And I've been, you know, I've been fickle enough to think at some point you know, seeing a singer live once and just, you know, him having an off night or her having an off night and just writing them off, you know, and never going back because of that one night, that one off night. And I just think I keep that in the back of my head every night we perform. It's just, you know, there could be somebody out there who hears me on an off night and they take that with them forever and never give me another chance. So I, I try to keep the same uh, strict regimen on, on, on tour 
Um, you know, what a guy like that constantly and just completely probably sleep deprived. Um, and you know yourself as a podcaster, you use your voice a lot. It's your instrument. So yeah, but what's I mean, your body? Your body doesn't care about your voice. It's going to be the last thing that it worries about, you know, day to day. So There are days like today, I'm going to do three radio shows, two podcast interviews. By the end of the day, my voice is junk. Thankfully, it sounds like junk mm-hmm. when it sounds good. So I can kind of slip <laughs> under the radar. But I remember back in the early 90s, I went to go see Guns N' Roses in an arena and Soundgarden opened and Cornell had an off night. And I remember being an idiot back then and walking out going, those guys in Soundgarden suck. And obviously I was wrong. And obviously it was just a horribly off night for Chris Cornell because we all know he's got one of the greatest voices in rock and roll. And the next time I saw the band, they were flawless. And I was like, okay, yeah, I was an idiot. But it really does take a toll the more you're touring. And bands outside of COVID, you're talking two, three years of touring on on an album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, I fall into it a lot. And, you know, it's the, the camaraderie of touring is is great. And, you know, the rest of the guys, they go out and are, they go out after the show and, and have beers and whatnot. And I just crawl in my bunk and I fall asleep and wake up early. And, you know, uh, and I, I sort of feel um, sometimes I'm a little misrepresented because I, I kind of I stick to this strict regimen. I'm, I, I you know, I, I do the bounce around and talk to fans after the show and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not the guy to go out and have a beer with the rest of the, the bands and, and, and hang out till, you know, two, three in the morning. I'm, I'm more often found in my bunk trying to catch up on sleep because, I, you know, it is the next performance is so important to me um, because I don't want I don't want anybody writing the, the whole band off if I have an off night. You know, that's that's just not unfair. And I do. And I think, you know my journey as a human wants me to go down that road as well. So it's kind of a win-win. I talked to Jonathan Davis from Korn and Jeff Keith from Tesla, and they both said the same thing. We can get another drummer to fill in for the night. We can get a bass player. You can't replace me. If I have an off night, there's no show. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just that simple, but sometimes it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to say no to a good time, but. When you're growing up and you're and you're kind of finding your voice and you're, you know, playing smoke on the water and you're trying to figure it out, how do you go from that to figuring out that you can write songs? Because not only do I not have musical ability, but I covet the ability of songwriting so much because I don't understand how you do it. When did you know you could do it? Yeah, I'll just say I think I think it's the same as singing for me. You know, I was good at all when I started but I just kept doing it and I kept doing it and I knew it's what I wanted to do and I wanted to get better and I, I feel like we've approached songwriting in the same way um, you know we, we've always tried to take our influences and wear them on our sleeves but at the same time you know be a, uh, keep a originality and and a, a certain um, you know aspect of that and what we do we want to tread tread new ground as well um, so it and and like we talked about before, the, the hardest thing is writing the catchiest song. So, um, you know, it's all about time. Uh, the songwriting process for the latest record um, is that we had all this time to work with. We weren't touring. We could focus all of our energy 
onto the songwriting process. And it, and it always shows, you know, hard work always pays off no matter what you do. And I think songwriting is, is the same way because, you know, some, some songs are super easy and they write themselves in two hours. And sometimes you got to think about it a little more, but I don't think anything will ever get you to that point of writing a song in two hours, unless you do it enough, you know, is it lyrics first, melody first, riff first, or is it a combination depending on who's coming up with the idea? Yeah, it's usually, I usually riff first, usually riff first. And then, you know, the guys will send a structure to me. They'll send, usually send songs to me and, uh, you know, depends on how I'm hearing things melodically and, and then, you know, I'll regurgitate it. Mostly I've found that sometimes I can get married to lyrics and not melodies. So I try to take myself outside of lyrics to start um, because lyrics can, can, can be, easier hard but at the same time they should be an afterthought because it's all about the melody right so um that's the way we like to approach it but sometimes it's uh you know like like our song legend of the spaceborn killer we jammed it out in the room and that rolled off my tongue i don't know how but legend of the spaceborn killer came out in the room came out of my mouth and that song sort of wrote itself in the room so it, it happens all different ways you know there can be any little fairies muse fairies that you grab from any anything and and, and you know it, it happens in every which way so there are artists that just think that you guys are like the conduit that the song's already there it just needs someone to kind of come through sometimes you you put things through the test by writing something and not recording it do you remember it right. was it that good that you remember it right you know um, I always ask songwriters this question on my show because the answers are always fascinating. Can you give me an example of any genre, any artist that that is inconsequential? It's not a favorite song question. It's a brilliance in the craft of songwriting question. A song you think is crafted perfectly that you covet and you go, oh, I wish I wrote that. Oh, hmm. I know it's hard for music people, but but yeah. then you gotta tell me, and you gotta again, break it down and tell me why. I'm gonna have to say, hmm, I, I'm gonna say "Black Hole Sun," and not because it's my favorite Soundgarden song. It's not, but I think just the 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 dynamic aspects of that song, the chord structures, the the. Uh, you know, just the little nuances and and just the the, the the songwriting ability that Chris Cornell has it just to cross over in such a way too I mean that's a crossover song I mean it can be played on alternative stations it can be played on rock stations to uh, to tear down boundaries like that song has done I think uh, you know you might not even know Soundgarden but you know Black Hole Sun and so I think uh, it's just one of those um, songs transcended even rock music. It's very rare that anybody says the same song. It happens every now and again. Uh, the only other person that's ever given me that answer was Brent Smith from Shinedown. So you guys have really good taste because that is a fantastically <laughs> crafted song. <laughs> I love Brent. So uh, I, I share pleasant company. Um <laughs> One of the reasons why I was so excited when I found out I was going to talk to you is it happens every now and again. I've been I've been in rock radio long enough to know that, you know, every few years rock is dead. Here comes the next wave of doubters saying that rock, you know, that it's got nowhere to go. And 
And some people say, well, you know, it's good that rock's kind of going back underground again because it's going to come back up out of the ground a different thing than it was, which is always good. As a newer band, and you talked about kind of wanting to wear your influences on your sleeve, but find your own lane, what's your perception of rock and roll and where it is? And obviously, where does the band want to go from there? Um, I think in the early stages of of the band, there was this uh, kind of revitalization of the old school rock scene and, you know, boutique analog sound. And I think we will always take that, that uh, approach um, wherever we go. So I think that is, you know, the, the old school rock sound. You know, there has, has been this like resurgence of originality in in active rock especially you know um we started this band 11 years ago in the thought process of well we don't just we just don't hear on rock radio what we want to hear so we wanted to really kind of you know fill that void and i think now it feels like there's a lot of originality in in rock music and and radio rock music you know you got all these different ends of the spectrum you know albeit it's 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 definitely a modern it's a modern era you know you got this like rap rock rap metal thing happening again almost like a new metal thing you know resurgence for that everything comes back around if you wait long yeah yeah isn't it crazy like i hope the 90s come back because that is where we live we live in in between of you know the Zeppelin and the Soundgarden, and um, we, that's what we'll continue to do till till the end of time, I'm sure. Um, but just to see that resurgence in a different way, because when we started, it was 70s, you know, and then we went through this 80s period. And now we're like back under the 90s, and like you're saying, it's all cyclical. So, so here we are again with this 90s resurgence. So uh, we're we're excited. I mean, back in the 90s, people were like, none of this music is ever going to stick around. And now you look back and see what a brilliant era in music it was and that people were just being idiots. But you also see a lot of those legendary bands that are still doing it. Stones, Mm -hmm. Judas Priest. I mean, Soundgarden's almost at their 40th anniversary in just a couple years. And a music legend that I just talked to on the show that I know you guys have worked with, Frank Bello from Anthrax, was just on. Oh, yeah. Love Frankie. And there's a guy that completely influenced a genre of music and a band that's still around. And yet people are looking at this legacy of Anthrax like, holy shit, the the good bands, when they come out, they they last. To see these, you know, these legacies and these these idols of ours still out there doing it again, it just kind of. <laughs> I mean, look, we're waiting on a new Aussie record that's stacked with superstars. You know, it's not going to suck. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Aussie's not going to put out a piece of crap, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Crowbot's album uh, "Feel This" is out for anybody that has never seen the band before. I had the pleasure of seeing you guys in Boston years ago, but I never got to meet you guys. So people got to go and check you out because rock is far from dead. And I'm so glad I got to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, I'll catch you soon. When you figure out your touring and you know you're going to be back in New England, I got to get you back on the show again because I want to come and see you. Yeah, for sure. It's been too long since we've been in New England, so we got to make it happen. Well, enjoy your downtime in PA while you can. All right, thanks. See you later. Yeah, see ya.
There he is, Brandon from Crowbot. Their new album, Feel This, is available everywhere, and there's a bunch of songs from it in the corresponding playlist for this week's episode. It's linked in the show notes, and also while you're there, and also while you're there, you can check out all of Crowbot's links and all of my links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is all your rock news, music headlines, and industry info, and it's only five minutes long. Plus, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. And if you just can't get enough Mistress Carrie, you can always listen to the Mistress Carrie radio show. You can tune in to Cocktails in the War Room every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern. I stream live on my Facebook page. And you could get a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon which gives you all the extra access you could want. Plus, you can get hooked up with free concert tickets, submit questions to upcoming podcast episodes, and so much more. This is the last week to celebrate Christmas in July at MistressCarrie.com. Just shop in the online store and use the promo code JULY2022 at checkout to get 10% off of everything you buy. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.